Welcome to the Foresight Church Podcast. Enjoy this week's sermon. For more information about us, go to foresightchurch.co.za. So friends, if you, if you missed out on last week's message, you do need to get it. It is online. I think it is a very good illustration of how to start out the new year. And so today I want to talk about a clear picture of a preferable future. In other words, I want to talk about the first part of the frame. Last week I had a picture frame out here. The first part of the frame is, who am I? Who you are will determine where you go and what you do. Many people are in a quandary today because there is a problem with identity. We have gender identity. We have emotive identity. We have a leadership vacuum in our world right now. The world is in a mess because leaders don't know who they are. Therefore, they don't know what they should be doing. And so because there is an identity crisis, people don't know how to be married. They don't know the role of the husband. They don't know the role of the wife. Kids don't know the role of children. And mostly it's because we have no idea who we are. So I'm going to help you this morning by the Holy Spirit to discern something in God about who you are which will determine where you go. Now, your productivity and everything you do in life is directly related to the revelation of who you are. Now, we started off and we ended off last week in Ephesians chapter 1, talking about the in Christ statements. So if you want to start anywhere on your journey, have a look at Ephesians chapter 1, in Christ you are many things. But now, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to dream. I want you to dream a picture of who you are in five years' time. No snoring. If you're snoring, wrong picture of yourself. Okay. Dream up who you're going to be in five years' time, what that looks like, and what you want it to look like. All right, open your eyes. Was that a hard exercise? Is that a difficult exercise? Who had a clear picture of your preferable future? Put up your hands. Ooh, that's disturbing. Should we try it again? Close your eyes. Lord, show us what you want for us in five years' time. Okay, open your eyes. Did you get something of an inkling of what you're going to look like, what you're going to be in five years' time, what you're going to be doing in five years' time? Now, here's an interesting thing, that if you're not busy with moving towards that preferable future, you are busy staying exactly where you are right now. John Maxwell said this. He said, you are... And it's one of my favorite quotes. You've probably heard it before. You are who you will be in five years' time, except for the places you go, the people you meet, and the books you read. In other words, exposure. I want to say that as a child of God, you are the same person in five years who you are today. You will not have grown one single thing 
unless for the places you go, get to a fellowship of believers. Okay, for those watching online, online's great, but it's definitely third best. Get to a community of believers, the places you go. Number two, the people you meet, your associations, the people you hang out with, the people who open doors for you, the people who pray for you. And number three, the books you read. Be reading good information. Get the Word of God into you. Plus, get, if you want to be financially fit, get some financial knowledge into you. It's amazing how many people I meet who want to be millionaires and have never opened a book about financial wisdom. It astounds me. We want to be rich, but we play the lotto. Can I insult you quickly? That's dumb tax. That's taxation for people who are mathematically illiterate. It's exactly what it is. If you are financially illiterate, you will be poor. It's a guarantee. So educate yourself. All right. Now, besides that, there is a better scenario for you than what you're living at the moment. How do I know that? Because God says he's taking us from glory to glory. We're being transformed into the image of Christ from one form of glory, one measure of glory to another. And we know that Jesus wasn't just philosophical and he just wasn't uh, abstract. That, that's a weird Jesus. That's a, a new age Jesus. Jesus wasn't a hippie guru kind of oak. Jesus was so heavenly minded that he was of every earthly good. You've heard people say, so heavenly minded, you have no earthly good. I find very often Christians become so weird and wacky and out there that they're not able to keep a job. They become so spiritual that they become unhinged in their own family. Become weird. Weird is not spiritual. Weird is weird. Stop being weird. Put your feet on the ground and become practical. When you're spiritually minded, you become every earthly good. Nobody was more spiritually minded than Jesus. Nobody ever has been more spiritually minded than Jesus, yet no one has been more practical than Jesus. So get your head out of the clouds, put your feet on the floor, and let's get moving towards a preferable future. So in the new year, we've got this opportunity to reinvent ourselves. We have the potential to reinvent ourselves. I think it's good. I like the reset button every new year. You can kind of get rid of Christmas food and start dieting and whatever, start fasting and, and, and reinvent your life and, and start becoming a little bit more intentional. And, and that's okay. In the new year, I think it's good to start being intentional about things. You know, I get to the gym and I see the kids are working really, really hard. They're, they're like pumping iron. It's great. I know that by February, they be, their thumbs are, you know, they come to gym and play on their cell phones. I just don't get that. But, and then by March, you see, don't see the kids anymore. But I'm, I'm actually okay with the fact that they get there and start doing something about mental health and physical health. I think it's okay. We do need to kind of get a, a clear balance. So, if you don't know me, my name is Chris, and I, it's my privilege to lead the team here. And hopefully we are leading you towards some form of sanity, but I want to make you this promise. The promise is this. If you commit to regularly attending church and hearing the Word of God, 
if you commit to plugging into fellowship in church and in home groups, and if you commit to applying the word of God as you hear it, I promise you, you will be a changed person by the end of this year. The word of God has the ability to create, and it will change you as long as you allow it to change you. If you apply it, you will be a different person. So, quick question. Did everybody like the picture of who you're becoming in five years? Did you like it? Okay, what did it look like? Yaku, what did your picture look like? Like a superstar. All right, okay. Uh, what, is that, what does that look like? Okay, go, go for it. There's a microphone there. No, I was just kidding about the, the superstar. Um, you don't have to kid about being well, a superstar. Go for it, man. <laughs> no, just being a professional in my industry. Professional in your industry. Yeah. What do you need to do to get to become a professional in your industry? Uh, work hard. Work hard? And yeah, stick to my morals. Stick to your morals? Yeah. Have you educated yourself to become a professional in your industry? Every day. Every day. You yeah. keep learning. Yeah. Right. So you, you there are, then are investing in that preferable future. Correct. So what do you have to do to become that professional future that you're looking for? You're already doing it. Yeah. What do you have to stop doing? Because it's not what you do that scuttles you. It's what you don't do. Everything that you're doing now that represents me now and not me in the future is going to hamstring my future. So can I give you a tip, Yaku? Okay, I'm talking to Yaku, but I'm preaching to everybody. So don't pick on him. In the future, five years from now, Yaku, do you see 2027 Yaku Spending hours in front of the TV. No. Here's a thought. If this guy, the preferable future of who you want to be, looks a certain way, then you, in 2022, have to evaluate not what you do to get there, because that's disheartening. You need to ask yourself, what will the future me be doing? What are the disciplines he's built into his life? And what are the things he's built out of his life? What you build in is important, but if you're building into an already cluttered life, you don't have space to become the future you. There are things you have to build out of your life to build new disciplines in. Because everybody's only got a 24-hour day. Does that make sense? All right. So I'm going to give you some notes. So first of all, it is a journey. To see is to become, right? I'm not who I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not who I was. That's the great story of being a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. That's fantastic. And then I meet a Christian who says to me this, I'm a Christian, but I don't know the Bible very well. It's like saying I'm a medical doctor, but my medical knowledge sucks. It is. I'm a mechanic, I'm a professional mechanic, but let me tell you what, I'm not too sure. It could be the axle or it could be the water bottle, I'm not sure. 
To be a Christian and to say, I don't know the Bible. Okay, can I give you some, uh, some quick, um, quick stats here? All right, do you know how long it takes to read through the whole Bible? How long? 72 hours, exactly correct. If you read average. If you read fast, 70 hours. If you read slow, 68 hours. To read through the entire Bible. The other way around. You could do it in one year if you read 15 minutes a day. If you read 20 minutes a day, you can do it in 326 days. To read through the entire Bible, cover to cover. How long have you been a Christian? Do you know how long it takes to watch through a whole series of friends? Anybody feeling convicted? Well, amazingly, there are 326 episodes of 20 minutes, more or less. Some are longer than others, but I'm 20 minutes minimum. That's 108.6 hours. That's awful. It takes you longer to watch friends than it does to read the Word of God cover to cover. If you read one hour per day, if you read one hour per day, you can read the Bible five times through cover to cover in 365 days. Did you know that? I would like to hear that you are not the product of your bad decisions. That the person you want to be in the future, you've actually done something to invest in that person. Do you know that if you, if you pray five minutes a day, five minutes a day, it's not a lot, spend five minutes in the presence of God a day, by the end of the year, you've spent over 30 hours in the presence of God. I think 30 hours, that's a long time. Not if you break it up into bite-sized pieces. We wonder why we don't know God's voice and why we are confused about things, but we can even spend a small time in His presence and learn an amazing amount of things. Now, now I don't, this is not a condemnation preach, but I want to take you to a scripture that is very, very powerful. That's Proverbs 29 verse 18. And this is where we start. Who am I? Well, you've got to see who you are. If you do not see who you are, you're going to see who you aren't. If you don't have a clear picture of who you are, you're going to have a very clear picture of what you are not. Does that make sense? I'll tell you why. Because the media will tell you you're not slim enough, you're not tall enough, you're not, you're not, you're not handsome enough, you're not, uh, uh, um, you're not sellable enough, you're, you're, you're insufficient. All the magazines are going to tell you, you you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do something else. It's all about do and do and law and law and all the rest. But you need to know who you are and who Christ has made you to be. And when you know that thing, you'll understand the scripture. It says here, without vision, where there is no vision, people perish. The King James Version. What do we have on here? Uh, Proverbs 29, 18, NIV, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. In other words, you have no discipline. If you do not know who you are and who you want to be, you have no self-discipline to get there. That's what that says. Is that okay? Is that fair? But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. You can be blessed and you can have a clue or you can be clueless and have no self-discipline. 
If you have an idea of who you want to be, a clear idea of who God wants you to be, it's easy to chase hard after that prize. If you can see it clear enough, you can get it. If you can see it, you can become it. Now, I don't want to do any, um, this is not pop psychology stuff. I don't want to spoon feed you pop psychology, but I want to tell you that there is so much that is spiritual about practical. I had a conversation with Malati the other day, and he said to me, Dad, why do so many Christians we know battle financially? Does God not care for his people? Good question. No, son, it's because they haven't planned. Where there is no vision, there is no self-discipline. They didn't plan financial wisdom, as the word says, you should. A righteous man, the Bible says, leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children. That's a righteous man. An unrighteous man, in other words, will not. We want to be righteous. We want to be spiritual. But we don't want to be practical because we're lazy. We're undisciplined because there's no vision. We do not see what God has got for us and what God has got for our children. And therefore, we cast off restraint. Where there is no vision, people cast off restraint. The English Standard Version, ESV, says this. It says, where there is no prophetic vision... The people cast off all restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. What is that vision word? What is that word? 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3b says this. Now the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. They weren't being refreshed with God's vision of who they're going to be. And so therefore... The word of God wasn't going out. Friends, if you want to see what God's got for your future, you've got to get in here. Where there's no word of God, there's no frequent vision. You cast off restraint, you get very loose very quickly. All right. So what happens. You need, point number one, you need to frequently see. There is no frequent vision. You need to frequently see. You've got to be refreshed all the time. I love the book of Nehemiah. He's possibly the best leader that I know in Scripture. That's the leadership manual in Scripture, the book of Nehemiah. It talks about how this man understood God and very practically put together the city walls when everybody was in despair and they'd started rebuilding the temple. They'd started with, with, you know, after there was the exile in Babylon and all the rest, they came back, the city was broken down. And Nehemiah comes back and he looks at all the spiritual people, but they hadn't bothered to build the city walls. They were without protection. So everything they were building, the enemy was stealing because they were spiritual but no, not practical. So, so Nehemiah comes and he says to the guys, come, 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 come. Let's sort this out. How are we going to build the city walls? And so he gave everybody the section to build of the city wall outside their house. Just do what you can do. Don't build somebody else's wall in front of their own house. Build your own wall in front of your own house. Boom. Record number of days it was done. Something ridiculous. What was it? 70 days or something? 40 days or something? something I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. But the, the principles in there are amazing. Why? It's practical. Do what you can do 
with what you got. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2 says this. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 2. It says this. Who knows it? When the vision comes, write it down. Make it plain on paper that he who reads it may run with it. Renew it. So our friend Nehemiah did this. Every six weeks, he got the nation together and he told them the story of why we're doing what we're doing again. Because people forget. Frequently revisit the vision. It's biblical. When God reveals to you something about yourself, write it down. I've got a whole bunch of these books. A whole bunch of them. And those are some of my thoughts over the years, some of the prophetic words that God's given to me, some of the prophetic words God's given to the church, some of the scriptures, the encouragements. I write them down. Why? So that when I read them, I may remind myself of where God wants me to go, not where I've strayed. It reminds me of the things that are cluttering my world, my mind, my life, gets me anchored back onto the future and not in the present. It helps me to not be overwhelmed by pressures and other people's important things. You see, other people's lack of planning becomes my emergency. I want to tell you, your lack of planning is not my emergency. It's your emergency. That's been coming a long time. Where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. They stop working on their marriage. They stop being a godly husband. Stop being a godly wife. Lose focus because you haven't figured out what the end product is, and so you're not moving towards the end product. You start being today's product or yesterday's stale product or two weeks ago's fresh revelation. No, no, no. Write it down. Remind yourself of the end result. Keep going. Okay. Is there anybody here who keeps a journal who writes down the things that God tells them? Any hands? Can we see some hands? Thank you. Bless those people, Jesus. Thank you for disciples. Wonderful. Do it. Works like a bomb. Why? Because the Bible says, when the revelation comes, write it down. Make it plain. Make it easy. Make it simple. So that when you read it, you can run with it and frequently revisit it. Okay? Number two, the point number two is, who you are determines where you go. So who I am, and I'm going to give you my vision statement for my life. I have said this. I am Chris, I am number one, a friend of God. That's my number one identity. I am God's friend, I'm his child, but I'm also his friend. He's entrusted me with everything. Jesus says he tells his friends everything. So okay, I want to be in God's ear. I want my ear to be in God's mouth, put it that way. So okay, so I am God's friend, number one. Number, number two is I am a husband to my wife. And number three, I am a father to my children. That's who I am, but it's also my role. Now, here's another funny thing. Out of that, I am a pastor, but that's where I'm going. It's not what I do. It's not who I am. It's what I do. Sorry. It's not who I am. It's what I do. Joshua one day said to me, Dad, what, are you, what would you do if you weren't a pastor? I said, I'll, I'll always shepherd people, but he says, isn't that your identity? It's not my identity. It's what I do. Who I am determines what I do. See, if I'm disqualified from being a friend of God, if I'm not 
a husband to my wife, and if I'm not a father to my children, the Word of God says I cannot be an elder in the church. Is that correct? Right. So who I am needs to be solid. I need to figure that thing out, pursue very hard, and stay according to who I am. And then out of that, I can also shepherd people, but I can do many other things. It's a role I fulfill. Okay? That's not where I go. That's what I do. Where I go is determined by my values because how I do that is determined by my values. My values never change. Now, we'll get into those on subsequent preachers over the year. I think that's important. Um, Yaku mentioned this. He said he's not going to compromise his values. He said he's going to be a professional in his industry by remaining ethical. You can sell who you are because of your values. Your values, the way you get to where you're going, if you compromise on those, your identity in Christ is broken. You have to remain true to who God made you to be. All right, so am I, am I giving you some, some help here? Now, you've got to determine your own, your own vision. What does God see for your life? When he looks at you, what does he see? I only want God to know me as a friend. I don't want to be his employee. I don't want to be, in a sense, a worker in his vineyard, even though I will work. I'm an heir. I'm a son. I'm a friend of God. And I want him to treat me that way. You see, the way I see myself is, the, is my revelation of God's love towards me or his relationship towards me. I can be a doer and just go about just doing stuff and then become God's slave. I don't want to be his slave. My revelation of who I am and who God made me to be will determine the way I do everything else. Will determine whether I'm tired or refreshed by coming here on a Sunday morning. It'll determine whether I get stuck into ministry and I'm serving wherever I can serve and, 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 and am energized by serving or depleted by serving. Because if you're a slave, you're going to get tired. If you're a son and an heir, you're going to be energized. Why? Because you're working for your inheritance. Thank you for that one amen. Is everybody else in shell shock? Have you ever wondered why some oaks in church are so happy and other oaks are so sad? They're baptized in lemon juice. They're dragged through vinegar. They're marinated in salt before they come to church. It's like excellent biltong, dried out, no life. Why? Because they don't have a revelation of who they are in Christ. Okay, man, I tell you, if, if I could, I would live here. When I'm doing what I'm doing, I go home, I'm a little bit tired because it takes a lot of energy, but it also revitalizes me. Why? Because I'm fulfilling one of the God-given roles that he's given me, but not as a slave. As a son. When I'm doing this out of slavery, oh man, it's a list and I've got to put my name on it again. When I'm doing it out of duty, then oh man, I'm just filling a slot somewhere because it's our turn again. But when I'm a child of God, it's like, of course. Of course, what do you expect me to do? I am, I'm a child of God. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm in it to win it. All right. Number two, who you are determines where you're going. Number two, uh, number three, frequently plan. 
There's frequent revelation, but there's planning. If you're not planning something into your life, actively planning it into your life, you're passively planning it out of your life. If you're not planning stuff into your life, you're passively planning it out of your life. Every single person wants to spend an hour in the presence of God a day. Everybody. Very few do, because it's not planned and it's not scheduled. Okay? So you schedule it. I learned a tip recently from a friend of mine. He said, have a go-to-sleep alarm on your phone. You do. Well done, devs. So there's a time when that alarm goes off on your phone. Not only a get-up-in-the-morning alarm, a go-to-sleep alarm. You program it to tell you to go to bed so that you get your required number of hours, so that you wake up in the morning refreshed and you can get to your disciplines. Otherwise, you go to bed late, you watch the last part of the series that you're watching, and you, you know, you, you, not that you can't watch it tomorrow. But anyway, you do that, and, you, and then you go to bed tired because you don't have the discipline. Now, put an alarm on your phone. When that alarm goes off, start preparing, start winding down to go to bed, get back into the Word, just even if it's a verse or two, read, pray, get into bed. You're going to sleep well. You wake up in the morning when the alarm goes off. Does that make sense? Cool. All right. Plan it in. If you don't plan it in, you plan it out. Also plan your values into your life. If your value is education, read. Okay. So what's the question? The big question is, what does the future Yaku spend his time on? If the future Yaku is spending his time on what past Yaku has done, the way he spent his time, he's wasting his time. Future Yaku does no longer exist. Because future Yaku is past Yaku. He's exactly the same guy. In the same circle of life. Doing the same things, achieving the same results. Einstein said this. He said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. If you always do what you always did, you will always get what you always got. You've got to do things differently. So plan to do things differently. All right. So, you know, while I was prepping this, I had this revelation. I know now why so many Christians are stuck in depression. You shouldn't be. I mean, because I think you can get out of it. You know, God's bigger than depression. But I understand why pe people get stuck. And it's because you get stuck in the same cycle. And you can break it out. And I, you know what I realized? It's because of a, a false belief system. I'm going to reveal to you an idol you have in your life that you didn't know you had. I honestly believe this was the Holy Spirit that showed me this. Fatalism. It's called fatalism. We believe, I'll give you a dictionary definition of fatalism. The doctrine that all events are predetermined by fate and are therefore unalterable. I'll repeat that. The doctrine that all events are predetermined by fate and are therefore unalterable. And sometimes we will change that word, their fate, to God. The doctrine that all events are predetermined by God and are therefore unalterable. Is that true? Sorry? You must do your part. You must do your part. Friends, we, we, we are in trouble because we have a lie. We believe a lie. It's a, it's a false gospel. Do you know that that, was, that, was, that comes from Greek mythology where the fates... The gods, the fates determine your future. That's rubbish. It's, it's so, 
toxic to our belief that, you know what we say? We say God's in control, everything will work out. Well, that's not what he says. Do you know what his word says? If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Is that right? <laughs> yes. That's right. Nod your head. Violently. In other words, God does everything by grace. It is by grace you are saved through faith. He's done his part. Now you do your part. I'm not the hyper-grace oak who says, God's done everything and therefore, once saved, always saved. You, you, you could just do what you want to. That, that's a false doctrine. But on the other hand, where we just work for salvation, where we just work to please God because we never can, that's also a lie. But the first part, this hyper-grace thing, keeps us in this trap that we are stuck in fate, that God will work everything else out, and we live in this world of grace where God's just going to miraculously make all your problems go away. If that is true, spend what you want to on your credit card and go into overdraft as much as you want to. Do it. Please do it. If you really believe that, keep going. But it's not going to work. But we believe that. That God will just miraculously intervene for our lack of wisdom. And so we want to live always on the miraculous. God, I'm going to make rubbish decisions. Please bail me out. No, that's called predetermined sin. That means you decide to willfully rebel against God in his wisdom that he's given you. You decide against sound counsel and you do stupid things. And you wonder why you're in a hole. And then when I or one of the elders point out to you that you're in a hole, you're angry with me. Is that true? It is true. It's a false gospel, that's why. You've been believing rubbish. Fatalism. It's an ancient religion and it's still alive today because it actually pervades our society and it makes me want to think that actually I have to do nothing. It'll all work itself out. That we should sing that in church. Like our worship. Whatever will be, will be rubbish. Rubbish, rubbish. Stop it. You're, you're in the hole you're in right now because of your bad decisions. So stop making bad decisions. Decide who you are in Christ and move towards that. And the things that are stopping you from becoming what God wants you to be, cut them off. And plan them out of your life and plan good things into your life. And guess what? You'll be a different person. All right. Who I am determines what I do, and friends, it determines what I don't do. Who I am determines what I do, and also what I don't do. I heard a, a friend once said to me, he said this, he said, I've got a to-do list, and then I've got a to-don't list. And he says, in my diary, I write down, I know we've got cell phones today, in my diary, I write down the things that I'm going to do, those are events. And on my phone, I put in the events, and then I put reminders, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. Every time I open it up, don't procrastinate, get off YouTube, whatever else. Stop, stop 
social media. A to-don't-do list. Because they're time suckers that if you don't plan them out, you plan them in. Okay. So how do I know if I believe this false doctrine of fatalism? Simple. Do you believe, do you feel that you're a victim of your circumstances and that you're stuck? If you believe right now, if there's just an emotion in you that says, I'm a victim of my circumstances and I'm stuck, it's because you're believing fatalism. You're believing a false gospel. Right, what is the true gospel? Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He died a sinless death so that he would take your place so that you could have life he took the punishment that was due to you so that you, could be li- uh, that you could be like him. He's changed places with you, the divine exchange. He, he who had no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. He who, who was the accepted, beloved, chosen of God became the rejected of God so that you could become accepted. We changed places. That's the real gospel. So if you've changed places, stay in that changed place. Fatalism says, I'm going to go back and be controlled by the powers of this world. Ephesians chapter 2 says, you once were under the control of the evil one, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of wickedness who is working in the children of disobedience. Once you were there, but now you are changed. You are new. You're no longer under fate. You're under the fortune of God. You're no longer under the winds of change. You're no longer under circumstances. You are now a child of God. You're in an, in, you are an heir in an inheritance. Say in an inheritance fast. It doesn't work. All right. So what does God say to us? Let's talk about what Jesus says. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to close off in a very short time. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about three disciplines you need to build in your life. And he says this, when you. And he says, how to. He says, when you give, don't make it a public affair. Give out a generous heart. Give out of your overflow. Then he says, when you fast. And then he says, when you pray. Three things Jesus requires of us, and he assumes that we're going to do this. He says, when you give, when you fast, when you pray. Why do we give? So that we come free under the power of the world. It's a counterculture. The world says, grab. Jesus says, give it away. Okay? Give and it shall be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and overflowing will be poured into your lap. Why? Because I'm living in God's abundance, not in mine. Okay? When you give, when you fast, it's a discipline. Jesus expects you to fast. Why do we do that? To punish our flesh. Wow, well, you see the three enemies. Satan, the world, and the flesh. Is that right? Three enemies. Satan, the world, and the flesh. When we give, we free ourselves from the entrapments of the world. When we fast, we're canceling our flesh and telling my body, I don't care if you're hungry. 
I don't care if you're weak. I'm going to press through. I shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So Jesus counted Satan when Jesus was hungry, when he was fasting. And then he says, when you pray, what do we do when we pray? We oppose the devil. It's called spiritual warfare. That's what prayer is. We pray. We set our mind on God. We set our mind on heaven and not on the things that are happening around us. We listen to the voice of God and not the voice of Satan. We don't listen to temptations. We listen to Satan. And so I, I, so listen to Jesus. We don't listen to Satan. We listen to Jesus. Man, I hope nobody takes that clip and puts it on YouTube. So that little piece that would be just really incriminating. We, we listen to God and not to the devil. Three things. When we fast, when we pray, and when we give. All three of this, these things don't happen automatically. All three of these things will have to do who your future self is. And they have to be planned into your schedule. We have a planned church fast that starts with the leaders are fasting from Monday to next week Sunday. And people in the church, the church-wide fast starts from next week Sunday through to next week Sunday. So we're doing two weeks of fast. You're welcome to join in any time. You're welcome to fast out any way you want to. There's a whole bunch of pamphlets and Info that's available about fasting. They, they are around where they Debs. At the door, take one on the way out. If you don't know how to fast, if you do know how to fast, fast. There are also guidelines, what we're fasting, what we're praying for as a church. But also pray guidelines for your own personal good. So if you want to learn how to pray, pray through those things. If you pray through those few things that are on the page every day as they're laid out, you, you, you'll be praying for more than five minutes. Your five minutes is done, I promise you. Quick, quick, quick. Just like, there's the notes. Pray through those things. Find scriptures in the Bible while you're praying. Find scriptures about those things and pray those scriptures. Pray the word of God. Don't pray your own thoughts. Pray the word of God into those situations and bang, you'll find yourself a changed person in short. But now I want to say this. Everything that you want for yourself, God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or think or imagine. So in other words, I want to say to you that God's plan for your life is immeasurably bigger than your own plan for your life and your five-year projection, God is planning bigger than that. But unless you start moving towards that, if you're not faithfully little, you will not be established over much. God cannot do that. He cannot violate his word. He will not give you glory if you cannot even handle what you've got in your hand. He's not going to help you manage time if you're not managing your own time right now. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you today, if you honestly, sincerely need to repent of fatalism, of believing that things just work out. No, the word says, and in all things, God works to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, a bad situation, he will turn upside down. He doesn't create the bad situation unless to discipline you, the Bible says. In other words, to stop you from doing that. Does that make sense? Yes. Good. If you need to repent from fatalism, you do that now. Say, God, I'm sorry. I believed rubbish. I'm going to believe your word. I'm going to move towards what you've got for my life and away from what I've created for my own life. If you're a product of your own bad decisions, repent from your bad decisions. Seek after wisdom. We're going to pray that now. I'm going to give some time to do that. And if you honestly need to seek out God's purpose and his plan for your life, we're going to pray into that now as well. Is that good? All right, let's close our eyes. Father, in Jesus' name, we repent from fatalism and from the false gods we're serving. We do not serve the fates. We're not under the control of Satan. We're not victims of our circumstances. 
Father, I pray that if there's been any bad planning, bad judgments made, yes, and I do understand that life is different for, for everybody, but I do pray that we will move towards what you see for us and not what we see for ourselves. I pray that you would reveal to us what you see for our lives. We've had a quick imagination exercise, but I pray, Father, that you would reveal to us more of your heart, more of your dreams, more of your ambition for us. You believe in us more than we even believe in you. You've got great things in store for us. Jesus, show us that we can move towards those and move away from what we have become. Help us, Lord, to have the discipline to plan properly. Help us to fast. Help us to pray. Help us to give that we may be conformed into the image of Christ and not our own projection of what success looks like. Father, we pray, keep us humble, keep us teachable, but Lord, give us vision, for without vision, people live undisciplined lives. They cast off all restraint and find themselves in problems. Give us a vision of who you've created us to be. Give us as a church a reminder of the clear vision that you have for us to make disciples of all nations. Keep us on track. In Jesus' name, amen. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Chris.